Welcome back to the Global Mental Health Outreach Podcast, My Mental Health Story Series. I'm Natalie, the founder of GMHO. This is the second episode of our series on eating disorders with Sage from at Doodles on Instagram. Welcome back again, Sage. Hi, it's Sage again, and I'm here to share with you for our second episode. Yeah, I remember that you were suffering from depression and OCD on top of anorexia at the time. So what were the symptoms you faced at the time, like from an ED standpoint and from your other mental illnesses? Yeah, so I also experienced anxiety and um, a neurodiagnosis has been ADHD as well. Um, but symptoms, I definitely experience a lot of symptoms, both emotional, behavioral, physical, and they appeared from my eating disorder. And also, um, I think the eating disorder and depression, anxiety, and OCD colluded with that. Symptoms vary for each individual. Personally, for me, they did appear physical, and um, but also other symptoms were there as well, like not feeling sick enough. Um, constantly thinking about food, calories, um, planning what I was going to eat. And this took up a lot of brain space. Um, My school performance, for a lot of people, it does become impacted by an eating disorder. For me, it wasn't, which kind of led me to feel like it was sustainable to continue because school was such a big part of my life. Um, But it was difficult to have so much of my brain dedicated to my eating disorder and always thinking about those things. I was very tired when I was a swimmer. I wasn't able to make it through practices. Um, I had a lot of preoccupation with food and weight. And I think this is a very significant one for a lot of individuals Um, that kind of lets you know the distress that you're in. And for me, I didn't think I had an eating disorder. I was in denial, but I think if I knew that preoccupation with food and weight was such a big part of an eating disorder, it may have helped me realize I was suffering from one. Um, also dieting, concern with my body and shape, shame and anxiety around food or food consumption, specifically not being able to like go out for with friends or even by myself or with family um, to restaurants or out to eat. Mood swings, which definitely played a role with depression, OCD. Um, was kind of could trigger some anger, a lot of anger. Um, And my surface emotion was definitely anger and irritation. And I was not a happy camper in my eating disorder. I was, I was very much a miserable person. Um, Also body checking, which is for those who don't know, when you are looking at your body or measuring it, or um, kind of like examining your body in ways that aren't beneficial. Um, low energy, as I said, significant weight decline. Um, I was constantly cold and freezing even in summer. Um, and then other physical symptoms and issues with my skin, hair, nails, um, and ultimately heart complications as well. Yeah. Like people often think that eating disorders are just like only dietary restrictions or like losing and gaining weight but what they don't know are the um, emotional effects and the intrusive thoughts and all the other like behavioral processes because like the biggest difference from like disordered eating and an eating disorder are your thoughts and the extent of the effects so when you have an eating disorder you physically cannot stop your behaviors right like you cannot stop yourself like it's hard to be able to find the tools um, outside of an eating disorder because it's it's rooted in 
addressing emotions and coping with difficult situations for a lot of people. Um, and I, yeah, it's really hard to find those behaviors outside and with eating disorders, it's about distress. Like it causes so much distress in your life. And I think it's definitely hard to differentiate between disordered eating and eating disorder. So when was the worst for your eating disorder? Yeah, I remember when I was very unwell, I thought, I don't really like the term rock bottom just because when I was really unwell, I thought that I'm not at rock bottom and I can't recover until I reach a rock bottom. But the the thing was, I was visualizing a rock bottom that wasn't actually for me. And it was a visualization of someone else's extreme, not my own. And that wasn't applicable to me. Um, so my low point was kind of like thinking I wasn't at my rock bottom actually. And I think it would, it would definitely be either the weeks leading up to going to residential treatment, um, after I had been in the hospital being diagnosed, um, I think having that diagnosis, but not really given any support, I was just home for three weeks. Um, that was a really difficult time. Also, I, Due to insurance, I was discharged from residential seven weeks after in a place where I wasn't ready. Um, and those two weeks following there, um, that time was really difficult as well. And I think that was kind of when I I lost some of my hope and my motivation. And it took a while to regain that after. Can you talk a little bit more about your visualization of another person's like, rock bottom? Yeah, it, I think it mostly stemmed from the thought for eating disorders is really common to think I'm not sick enough and I'm not thin enough and I don't have as much hospital experience or I haven't had these situations where I've refused all these foods or um, not eaten for a certain time. There are all these things that you compare yourself to. And that's why social media can be really toxic in a way that it displays behaviors um, in a way that glamorizes them. And I felt like since I hadn't done all of these like checked all these things of being sick and being like an extreme case that I couldn't recover myself. And it's very convoluted and really harmful. And I, I do recognize that it it's hard to allow yourself to recover. But th the truth of the matter is that you're never going to feel ready to recover. Most likely you're going at some points you may want to, but it's, it's really scary. And you, it's about like doing it when you don't want to. Now, um, did anything help you survive the symptoms before you got treatment? Like any coping mechanisms to help with your intrusive thoughts from let's say OCD or depression? I definitely isolated myself. So I, I had a couple friends, um, but my relationships with my parents I think, as we mentioned in the last episode, we're not great at all. My sister and I didn't get along. I think I had one friend, but um, it, it wasn't really a supportive relationship for the symptoms I was experiencing. The activities, though, I was engaged in Science Olympiad through my school, um, but it, unfortunately, COVID disrupted that. And so we had to cancel tournaments and just, just disruptions with our season. And I think that's when... I definitely like didn't seek motivation from that because it wasn't there anymore for me. Some coping skills would have been, I really like to make gifts for people. And so I would knit hats or little booties or 
I made personalized board games for people. And that was a really good coping skill looking back that I still use now. Um, that was not related to eating disorder or any depression related um, OCD behaviors. So that's probably the main one. But I unfortunately, my eating disorder was a huge coping skill. It did teach me a lot, though. It's very common when people feel trapped, I guess, in a situation or in a cycle they cannot break. They usually turn to like unhealthy habits like your eating disorder. And with the negative emotions, it's like very easy to lose track of what is right or not, I guess. How do you face other people when they point out your eating habits? Because I believe that there will be some people who aren't as accepting. So when I went into treatment, I went in with all these ideas of food. I grew up, as, a, as we said, with doctors. And I grew up learning food is medicine. Um, food, like what you put in your body. We, a lot of us have probably heard um, you are what you eat. I came in with all these um, beliefs that food was who I was as a person and the food I put in and learning so much about I'm so much more than the food I put in. I don't value other people based upon the food that they eat, that I was really able to come to this now realization. I guess I'm much more than the food. And when people point out what I eat or judge me for what I eat because they are struggling. I know where I came from and how much I have learned. And I think reminding myself that is a huge power um, to comments. If people do comment on me, which I think a lot of people have been pretty cautious around that, um, I would say, well, this is a lot better than how it was in my eating disorder. And I'm proud from how I come from from where I come from and how much I've grown personally. And I know that food doesn't dictate who I am. Balance and intuition with food is the best thing I can do for myself. Then how about back then? Did anyone point out? I think I remember you said you have some friends that were suffering as well. Did they like talk to you about their eating habits and then you'll compare yourself to them? And did anyone back then like point out oh why are you eating so little or why are you not eating at all definitely my parents pointed out that I was struggling with like eating sufficient amounts of food and that was pretty apparent in my physical body also my performance in swimming um but no one I was really isolated at school and I was around people I switched uh, and during my eating disorder, I went from middle school to high school. So I, I kind of switched environments as well. And in high school, which was where my eating disorder really developed um, into a full-blown eating disorder. And I had two friends um, who suffered from disordered eating. Now, one of them does have an eating disorder. And I think that really, I thought what I was doing was okay because other people were doing it too. And I definitely source competition from my friend who I don't know anything about like her current eating habits. And I think that understanding again, that I was not in a good place, but I've come, I've been able to learn that it, it was, it's, I know the struggle of comparison and and surpassing that is a really good feeling, but yeah, for sure. The comparison, um, where 
when I was at school was pretty significant. And you talked about like a lot of people around you were doing the same thing. So you, d- you were in denial, I think. So when did you start seeking help and what pushed you to do so? How I received treatment was because of the physical effects. I went to the doctor and it was quite apparent that I was not doing well. So I did um, become hospitalized. And that was kind of where I was asked, what do you want? to do? Do you want to go to residential? Do you think that a partial hospitalization program would be beneficial? And I was so dedicated to school. My entire life revolved around school. I wanted to stay in school. So I said that an outpatient program, which would just be seeing a therapist and dietitian and and outside treatment team would be fine. And I tried at home, kind of tried, (laughs) and it I think my underlying fears of recovery and my um, willfulness to remain in the body I was in and with the behaviors I was using, just it did not work in the home setting, along with, um, I guess, my reception to other people versus my parents is very different. So I did end up going to residential treatment, and that was where I really became I think just a different setting and a different response to what I was being told I needed to do was really helpful. Um, But I was the one who signed the paper saying I would go to residential. It was my choice. And I knew that for me to get back to school, to get back to the activities I like to regain my life, I, in my core, I knew that going to treatment was what I needed to happen. There were ups and downs after that. There were so many ups and downs and points where I slipped up and then picked myself back up. So that was kind of the initial part of seeking help. Yeah. Um, about like mental health recovery, it often like isn't in a straight line. And do you mind speaking more details about how you picked yourself up when you slipped up? Yeah, I think that's really a testament to someone's strength is it's not in the struggles and it's not success isn't based on the absence of struggle. It's more based on what do you do when you do struggle and what do you do after you struggle? And I remember just times after that, when I really did pick up momentum with recovery, I did have points where I reverted and didn't want to go to pursue this. But I think that knowing I use this metaphor that recovery is like swimming or kayaking across a river and you don't know if the other side is there for you. You don't know if you'll be able to make it. And once you reach the middle, it's going to be hard to go back or forwards. And I'm really glad that I went forwards because I am on the other side of the shore now. It's a pretty amazing thing, but I think that holding hope that there is freedom on the other side because I was, I definitely didn't think it would be as great as it is now that one year later I could be fulfilling food freedom and eating whatever I wanted, whatever my body needed and being able to move joyful movement. Um, But it's kind of like a more accepting word for exercise. Um, It's just really amazing to look back at where I'm at now. Did anything or anyone help you like most in treatment and did other like your other mental health problems improve with rehabilitation yeah um 
So when I started in residential, I definitely, um, I am pretty conscientious and I would say I really didn't want to impact other people. So the first time I went into residential, I was like, okay, I'm going to get out as fast as I can. I'm going to do what I have to do. It was really, really hard. Um, but that was kind of when I realized like, this isn't helping me just putting in the motions, but still having the thought that I was going to revert back wasn't helpful. When you start doing the actions with hope that it will get better is when the the changes occur. But the thing that helped me a lot was when I went into residential a second time, I had my therapist, I have two therapists, but my family therapist put a lot of emphasis on me as an individual in my own treatment. So we actually came up with this game And it was an art-based completion game. And there were, I think, 44 circles on this big poster board. And it was in alignment. And I had about six or seven rewards. And so every day that I ate all my three meals, all my three snacks, drank a cup of water at every meal and snack, um, that day I earned a circle. And I would do whatever I wanted on the circle. And I ended up doing 44 circles of all different kinds of art and mediums and decoration kind of things and it's really cool and I think that that was the first day the first day of starting that game was the first day that I completed all my meals all my snacks and drink water and I think that having that personal just relationship with my therapist and also being able to do something that was really exciting for me like they were like arts and crafts things that I got to do as rewards and go to the swimming pool with my therapist and just really fun activities that were special to me. And that was what got me up and going. And I think after, from that, I was able to do it by myself. And that was the most memorable thing that got me up. And unfortunately, not everyone gets to have that connection with the therapist or specialized treatment um, during their stay. But Um, It definitely took me months to get there and months of mulling over the idea of recovery until I was able to commit and actually grappled with the idea of changing. Um, But I think it's all part of the process, definitely doing, deciding to do recovery and deciding to even start the actions is really challenging mentally. One of my biggest motivators was being able to pursue higher education and going to college um, because I was It was right before my junior year, and I knew that I really wanted to be able to um, succeed in the ways I envisioned. I've heard from different people, they find it hard to connect with their therapist, or they don't know how to trust them. So how did you connect, or I guess, build trust between your therapist? Um, the residential that I went to and the, the partial hospitalization and intensive outpatient was also part of the same program or umbrella company. And a lot of those therapists and recovery coaches are actually recovered themselves. And I connected best with the people who have been through this challenge. And for me, it it is, it is kind of, it's not as much of a challenge for me to trust people. Um, But I know it definitely is for other people, though I think that having an individual who has experienced what you have experienced and come out on the other side, you kind of develop a relationship of trust and of belief in them. 
And I remember doing an activity while I was in residential and I interviewed like six recovered staff members. And that was also a really incredible experience that I didn't know if it was out there for me, but at the time, but I think after hearing them, I knew that I could recover. Yeah, that's really good to hear because seeing a role model to see that even when you don't have hope yourself, when you see other people has gone through what you've gone through, that's really inspirational, I think. I really appreciate being here and I just want to say there is hope for everybody. Sage, thank you so much for joining us again. And for everyone listening, stay tuned for the next episode where we will discuss on how we can help people with eating disorders.